April 14th, 2020, 2023. What an interesting show lined up for you guys today. We're going to be going through the history of the World Economic Forum, where it started, who, who's all behind it, what it is. Um, you're all pretty well aware of it. Um, we aren't going to be covering too much for uh, news on this one because uh, it's a really cool seminar that I had found um, basically, it's uh, a guy by the name of Dr. Nordengard that's basically done the history on the globalists for years and years and years. And we're going to listen to a seminar that he put on about a month ago, um, basically explaining how it all came to be. Um, we're going to do that. And pre-show, what we're going to do is, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but uh, Moderna just got ordered to release all their documents. <laughs> so it's not only Pfizer. Um <clears throat> Moderna is now in the hot seat. They've got they've just been ordered by a court to uh, release 24,000 pages of Moderna documents starting uh, to the, uh, to the public starting in July. Now, uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf was on uh, Steve O'Bannon's podcast or show there the other day, and she kind of breaks this down. So let's listen to Naomi Wolf tell us how this is all going to play out. Moderna now is going to get their turn in the barrel. You got a couple lawsuits. We got about 90 seconds. Walk me through the Moderna part. This is coming for his third printing. You got Moderna that's now going to be in the barrel and you got a couple of lawsuits to explain that so, to us. So this is super exciting to to the amazing science and medicine nerds in the War Room Daily Cloud um, team of experts. Uh, there are two lawsuits. They're not ours, but they're fantastic for us. And the wonderful Amy Kelly has been liaising with the legal team of one of them. And one is defending the Republic, and they have succeeded in prying 24,000 pages um, of Moderna documents from Moderna. The first documents will be released in July, and it's, get this, you guys have to be sitting down for this. An adverse events document, meaning bad things document, totaling 13,685 pages. Just one bad things document is over 13,000 pages long. And it's a, a ruling in Texas. There's another lawsuit, uh, similar, kind of on a parallel track, not ours, but by the incredible Aaron Siri, who was responsible for the Pfizer release that we're working on. Um, and mm -hmm. so this is exciting, not to you know get ahead of the legal system, but it's the same judge who ruled on the Pfizer documents. He's ruling on a similar cert involving suit involving Moderna that Aaron Siri and his uh, law firm are are wow. bringing. So uh, we we may well see that, and, and our team is like standing by there salivating. Our team is waiting to get their hands on it. Real quickly, how do they how do they get? We got thirty seconds. How do they get to you at the Daily Cloud? So go to dailycloud.io and please pre-order this. We're racing to get our third printing out, um, so there will be a little bit of a delay. But you want to be in that pre-order list. And so that is re a really cool revelation that's going to be happening in July. Um, it won't. It will no longer just be um, <clears throat> the, 
the Pfizer documents released to the public. Now, for those of you that are that are paying attention to those Pfizer documents, they're getting harder and harder to find online. So they're they're actively censoring them, and they're just going to make them disappear. So if you still want, if you've never read them, or if you still if you want to have a copy of them, um, actually go to. Um, Steve O'Bannon's website, um, the War Room website, he actually got all the documents and put them into a paperback, and you can order that. If, if you're interested or if you've never read them or if you just want to have it so you can prove it to other people, um, because they're giving them plausible deniability at this point by just making, them, making it all disappear on the internet. Um, another little tidbit of, of interesting news that we're all watching play out is, um, is this... Um, the Bud Light thing with the uh, with this transgender, this Dylan Mulvaney. Now, um, <clears throat> this is kind of interesting. Um, I, th- I think for most of us, it's the fact that the woke agenda is being pushed down our throats everywhere, every which way we turn. But the p- the problem that people have with this guy is he um, he's a transgender that uh, presents himself as an adolescent little girl. So there's a there's um, a lot of pedophilia suggestion with this and i just kind of wanted to quickly go through um this ties right into the the whole um the whole beginning of this 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 ideology this this mental illness let's not really beat around the bush at all and i just wanted to introduce you to the guy that created this thought pattern his name was john money uh this this article comes to us by way of redo and this was written by anna slates january 24th 2022 John Money, the pro-pedophile pervert who invented gender. Gender identity is a hot topic today and has become a focal, a focal point of not just social discourse, but, but legal policy and procedure. But, if, but few people know the concept's disturbing origins. Dr. John Money, a sexologist and psychologist from New Zealand who practiced at John Hopkins, is considered the first to coin the term gender identity and gender role, describing the internal experience of sexuality and the social expectations of male and female behavior, respectively. These concepts are prominently featured in trans activism today and are used to bolster claims of gender fluidity. But Money's history is a dark and controversial one, the details of which are often neglected when discussing his contribution to the popularization of gender versus sex discourses. Like many sexologists, Money uh, believed pedophilia was a harmless sexuality which, when practiced properly, led to the child suffering no harm. In fact, Money's theories on pedophilia were so sympathetic that to this day his work is prominently featured on the website of the North American Man-Boy Love Association, NAMBLA, one of the longest established uh, uh, pederast rights groups. In the 1990s, Money allowed himself to be featured in interviews with the Pedica, uh, pedophile psychology journal named after the Greek adjective for boyish, and has been uh, used by pedophile, excuse me, pedophile rights activists to refer to young par- to to the young partner in a pederastic uh, relationship. In 1991, in a 1991 interview for the journal, Money is quoted saying, "If I were to see the case of a boy aged 10 or 11 who is intensely erotically attracted to a man in his 20s or 30s, if the relationship is totally mutual and the bonding is genuinely totally mutual, I would not call it uh, pathological in any way." Money also noted that he never reported any pedophiles to the police, even those who were actively abusing children uh, to his belief that adult child sex was normal and often beneficial. 
but Money's views on pedophilia hardly touch the darkest and most depraved facts of, hi of his history, those being reserved for the case of David, born Bruce Reimer. Born in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada in 1965, Reimer was the victim of a botched medical circumcision when he was six months old. The, pr the procedure sought to address a urination problem Reimer was experiencing, but instead left his penis mutilated beyond repair. Well, oh, one sec here. Reimer's parents took him to Baltimore to see money in 1967, concerned about his future sexual and romantic prospects. At the time, money was known for his research with intersex people and was considered a pioneer of gender reassignment. Money uh, recommended Reimer be subjected to a genital reconstruction to create a vulva and suggested his parents to his parents that raising him as a girl would be in his best interest. He was conceived, uh, he, he was convinced that gender could be socially learned and Reimer provided the ideal subject through which to test his theories due to having a twin brother, Brian, that could be used as a, as a male control. Throughout his early childhood, Reimer was never told he was born a male and he was subjected to hormone therapy early, early on in order to lead him through a female puberty. Reimer was regularly seen by Money, who tracked his progress in an effort to demonstrate his theory that gender was malleable. During checkups, Money, <clears throat> Money would, sub would subject the twin boys to disturbing experiments. They were forced to replicate sexual intercourse uh, with each other, touch and inspect each other's genitals while watching pornography. Money would show the twin photo, the twins' photos from smut magazines and explicit sexual photos of kids. He would then prod them about their sexual arousal and uh, question their attractions. The children were also expected to comply in front of audiences, as many as six other adults, and some reports state that Money also took photos and videos of the children engaged in rehearsed sexual activity. At the time, both of the twins were just six years old. <clears throat> I don't think we need to go any further into this. Um, you guys now know the history of, of the the history of this gender reassignment and this uh, the people behind this trans movement. Uh, this is the basically the father of it, and I think you you kind of get the hint at why I brought this to you because this is in the forefront with the Bud Light stuff. Um, <clears throat> the whole ideology was created by pervert pedophiles that exploited children. And this is now we're, you know, now we're talking, what, 50 years later um, and look at look at what's happening. So I think to, to in order to understand where we're at with this movement, you have to understand the history and the history is pro pedophile. Uh, it was created by an open pedophile that uh, uh, was openly interviewed by uh, pedophilia magazines and 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 groups and uh, basically proud of it. So <clears throat> there you go. Um, now I'm not, you know, with that all being said, I'm not anti-gay, I'm not anti-trans, I'm not anti-anything. I don't give a fuck about your sexuality. Just stop ramming it down everybody else's throats. You can be whatever you want to be. That's totally fine. And I think, you know, t 10 to 15 years ago, we were all like that. You know, we all support, you know, we all know someone that's gay. It's not a big deal. It's not a big thing. But let's get back to that. Just keep what you do in the bedroom to you. We don't need to celebrate or even give you more rights because you are different sexually. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. Anyway, my friends, let's get this show started. We'll be right back. Welcome, friends, to Canadian Patriot Radio, where conspiracy is not theory and political corruption finds the spotlight. 
At CPR, we are committed to upholding Canadians' God-given rights to life, liberty, and freedom with all thy sons. Command. Hey, welcome back, my friends. What I'd like to do uh, now is just kind of lead you into the bulk of this show. So um, there was a Northern Lights convention, um, and uh, one, of the, one of the presenters uh, on the World Economic Forum, uh, the title is World Economic Forum, The Shapers of the Future, uh, presentation by Dr. Jacob Nordengard. Now, this, this fellow has written books about the Rockefellers and uh, everybody that's basically in control of the globalist movement uh, around the world or the front men. And, and uh, he's going to introduce you, in, you know, into how, what, what's been happening, why it's happening, and then what we can kind of prepare for in the future and, and how far back it goes. You're going to understand how the WEF came to be, um, the players involved in it, and uh, the goals and, you know, what, how they're, they're attempting, what we're watching in real time right now, uh, how it's all been planned, uh, and where they're planning on going with it. So what I'm going to do is shut up and let you guys listen to this because it's, it's incredibly interesting. Um, and the history is just, you've got to take it all in. So I will turn it over to Dr. Jacob Nordengard so you guys can hear, uh, what he's got to tell you. Honor to introduce the Dr. Jacob Nordengard and you will hold a presentation on the not so hidden conspiracy of the World Economic Forum. It's an open conspiracy, you could say. The conspiracy is out in the open. My name is Jakob Nordengård, and I'm going to do a presentation now called The Shapers of the Future. And this will cover the origin, history, and uh, how the World Economic Forum has become the major vehicle for a technocratic reshaping of humanity and the planet. I have a PhD in science and technology studies from Linköping University. Uh, I'm a geographer, culture and media pro producer, and I'm also the founder of the Faros Foundation. And uh, we work to highlight threats to democracy, freedom of thought, as well as against humanity itself. I'm also the CEO of publishing company Forest Media Productions. I've uh, written five books about the global agenda and uh, power play. My doctoral thesis, the first one, Order of Cow, it's called, was about the European Union energy politics and the goal to create a sustainable energy system less dependent on fossil fuels. It was out in 2012 and it's very topical now. I have also written a book about the Rockefeller philanthropies and their involvement in the climate issue. And my latest book, The Global Coup d'etat, the Globala Statskupen in Swedish, covers the background 
to the pandemic and how it became a trigger to implement a technocratic world order. This is a quote from the political scientist Samuel Huntington. The divorce class have little need for national loyalty, view national boundaries as obstacles that are thankfully vanishing and see national governments as residues from the past whose only useful function is to facilitate the elite's global operations. Huntington knew what he was talking about, himself a professor from the Harvard University, a hotbed for the creation of World Economic Forum. Hunt Huntington, he was an uh, insider very involved with power politics, origins and history. In 1956, Special Studies Project was initiated by Nelson Rockefeller at the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. Uh, it was an ambitious project that addressed the problems of its day and how to solve them. Nelson he had uh, presidential ambitions. He had put together a brain trust to bring his aspirations to life. The young academician Henry Kissinger from Harvard was handpicked to uh, serve as the project's manager. Henry, he had previously been involved in a study group on nuclear weapons at the influential think tank Council on Foreign Relations together with uh, David Rockefeller, Nelson's brother. David, he was a banker at the Chase Manhattan Bank and a director at the Council since 1949. The Council on Foreign Relations was dominated by the Rockefellers at this time and promoted their business-oriented form of internationalism. Henry Kissinger, he became a loyal partner to these Rockefeller interests and has served them ever since. The stated objective with this special studies project was to shape a new world order in all its dimensions. Spiritual, economic, political, social. The challenge was, quote, to build a new structure that will make possible the fulfillment of the basic purposes of humanity. To achieve their goal, they identified science and technology as the key to further their internationalist cause. No other area required more uh, cooperation than science. And it identified global health and climate change. This is as early as in the 50s. Especially interesting as these problems span across the borders of the globe. The panel that came up with this proposal was shared by Milton Katz from Harvard Law School with David Rockefeller as a member. No? The Rockefellers and climate change, the oil men and climate change is an interesting combination. 
the Rockefellers. They had already been instrumental in establishing the United Nations. As illustrated by this picture from their website of the Rockefeller Capital Management, you can see all these achievements that are more Rockefeller organizations. And in the middle, we have United Nations that they view as their own little club or organization. Henry Kissinger, and he, he was also the director of Harvard's International Seminar and started the Center for International Relations in 1958. This seminar had the purpose to establish better understanding among a select group of people who will be in top leadership roles in their countries in the years ahead. The seminar was funded by the Ford and Rockefeller Foundation and as later revealed the CIA. David Rockefeller himself he was on the board of the overseers of Harvard and the president between 1966 and 1968. One leader of the future what, that came under Kissinger's influence was Klaus Schwab, a young economist from Ravensburg in Germany that had come to USA to gain a Master of Public Administration at Harvard. He was the right man for a new mission to further the internationalist agenda and shape a global business institution. This is a clip with Klaus talking to his mentor 50 years later. Dr. Kissinger, our time, uh, our satellite time is running out. What wonderful opportunity to conclude our week here with such uh, concrete proposals and ideas of how we can really create, I would say, a new world order. And um, I feel uh, we should be very grateful to you, Henry, for taking the time at a very important uh, day in the United States to be at least uh, digitally with us and on behalf of all those sitting here in the room I would like to thank you very much. I would like to thank you personally also for the 50 year long mentorship and uh, all the advice you have given me. Thank you and we appreciate it very much. Please join me. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> That was uh, Klaus talking to his master, <laughs> Kissinger. And uh, Kissinger, of, of course, has his masters. In 1970, uh, Klaus Schwab founded the European Management Forum in Switzerland in order to arrange meetings and allow top managers of corporations to interact with all their stakeholders. That means shareholders, suppliers, governments, and civil society. This forum would also spread new management techniques to the Europeans. To the inaugural meeting, Klaus had invited two academians involved with Harvard's international seminar, Kenneth Galbraith and Hermann Kahn. Other notable guests were Otto von Habsburg, from the Pan-European Union, 
Anybody know about the Pawn European Union? And also Dame Barbara Ward from Columbia University in New York. The latter was a British economist that became an early promoter of sustainable development. This was to become an integral part of the forum's agenda. Barbara wrote the book Only One Earth, the care and maintenance of a small planet as a framework for the United Nations Conference on the Environment in Stockholm in 1972. She also worked together with the Secretary General for the conference, Maurice Strong, to convince the developing nations to go along with the agenda. They were both members of the environmental think tank Club of Rome and closely associated with the Rockefeller interests. Strong was mentoring Klaus Schwab and was for many years a member of the forum's board. At the meeting in 1973, the president of the Club of Rome, Aurelio Pecce, was invited to talk about their report Limits to Growth and the World Problematic. Due to stress with a rising population and unsustainable use of resources, it was concluded that the planet was in need of a global management to take care of the planet. The Club of Rome had been started with a grant from Pecce's boss from Fiat. Giovanni Anelli, a close business associate and friend of David Rockefeller. At the same meeting, the divorce manifesto was drafted. It stated among others that the management has to serve society. It must assume the role of a trustee of a material universe for future generation. It has to use the immaterial and material resources at its disposal in an optimal way. It has to continuously expand the frontiers of knowledge in management and technology. The forum decided that the elites of the world would take the roles as stewards of the planet. This meeting was sponsored by the European communities and Prince Bernard of the Netherlands. Anybody know about Prince Bernard? He was uh, the founder of the Bilderberg, Bilderberg Group. In October 1973, the Arab countries started an oil embargo towards nations that had supported Israel during the Yom Kippur War. That meant that the price of oil increased with 300%. The oil crisis was a fact. This gave support to the warnings from the Club of Rome about resource scarcity. Later, the Saudi Arabian Minister of Petroleum, Sheikh Ahmed Zaki Yamani, stated this that uh, Henry Kissinger had been involved and used some of his diplomatic skills to kind of incite this embargo. An eventual rise in the price had also been discussed at the Bilderberg Conference in Saltsjöbaden, Sweden, in May 1973. Hmm, foresight. They had a problem that needed to be solved. 
To further the aspirations for a global management of the planet, the elite think tank Trilateral Commission was founded by David Rockefeller in 1973. They called for a new international economic order to better manage the world. The member, US Ambassador Richard Gardner, wrote an article in the Council on Foreign Relations magazine Foreign Affairs that explained the plan as an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than the old-fashioned frontal assault. Gardner had been a consultant to the Rockefeller Special Studies Project. What we had in mind was a new system that was technocratic, a society built and run by scientists and engineers. A high-tech society managed like a big corporation, Technocracy Incorporated, that had started as a project at the Rockefeller Associated Columbia University in the 1930s, had developed these ideas. As Paragana, a World Economic Forum disciple recently stated, if you want a better world for your children, don't hold your breath for global democratic deliberation. The worse climate scenarios get, the more decision makers will be forced into radical top-down measures overseen by technocrats, not activists. And here we see Anthony Fauci, of course. In 1975, World Future Society arranged the conference Crisis and Opportunity the next 25 years. The vice president, but he was at the time, Nelson Rockefeller, gave an opening address. They discussed the possibilities of creating a new technocratic world civilization and how to achieve this. The futurist, Warren Wager, had his prescription. There is no better time to implement radical changes than after a worldwide catastrophe. It was World Club of Rome's mission to warn about such events, shaping the future agenda. In 1987, the forum changed its name to the World Economic Forum. The new agenda that was come after the Cold War was discussed. Here we see Maurice Strong with science writer Joël de Rosnay. Strong, that had served as head of the United Nations Environmental Program, talked about sustainable development and global warming. Or the warm war, you could say. Whereas Rosnay, special advisor to Prime Minister of Mauritius, is known for the concept Symbiont a planetary superorganism or brain comprising of humans, nations, machines, ecosystems and networks. A cybernetic organism that the World Economic Forum wanted to bring to life. Strong was part of the United Nations Brundtland Commission together with Norwegian Prime Minister Gro Harlem Brundtland. Both were members of the Trilateral Commission. Their report our common future defined the concept of sustainable development. The inclusion of climate change in the report was initiated and funded by the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. I cover this in my book about the Rockefellers. 
The report was a part of a Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro that was headed by Strong. The conference decided to implement the Agenda for the 21st Century, Agenda 21, and start the United Nations Climate Convention. The motto for the conference was In Our Hands. Whose hands? I think you know the answer. This is some of the guys and girls. After this uh, big environmental meeting, they wanted to start and uh, develop a new ethical framework for the planet. The Earth Charter Commission was born. Queen Beatrix of Netherlands, that is the daughter of uh, Prince Bernard, and her Prime Minister Ruud Lubbers asked Morris Strong and the former leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, to chair the commission. The West and East was bonded together. Nelson Rockefeller's son Stephen became the project's coordinator. And it's very interesting to, to note that Royal Dutch Shell, you know, the royals in Netherlands, they have a lot of shares in Royal Dutch Shell, of course, and the Rockefellers with Exxon. These are the guys and girls that want to create our sustainable future. Stephen also gave seed money to the Global Scenario Group in order to create scenarios for how a planetary civilization could be created. This was led by Paul Raskins from the Earth Charter Commission and a member of the Club of Rome. In 2002, they released the book The Great Transition. The cover with a globe in pieces that I put together describes what it was all about. Build back better. They assumed that a general crisis for the needed transformation could be triggered by an unprecedented pandemic. The end goal was to achieve a world union with a world court and a world regulatory authority. Klaus had already started to educate leaders for transformation. This is in Klaus Schwab's own words. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I we know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy. Right. In uh, 1992, Schwab and the World Economic Forum had started the program Global Leaders of Tomorrow, with leaders like Angela Merkel, Nicolas Sarkozy, Jose Manuel Barroso for European Union. Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. In 2004, this program was morphed into a more ambitious five-year program called Young Global Leaders. 
More than 4,000 leaders have been involved with these programs. Here are some examples. Sanna Marin from Finland. Emmanuel Macron. France, New Zealand's Prime Minister Shinda Arden, Leonardo DiCaprio, Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matters, and Sebastian Kurz, Chancellor of Austria. We, my foundation, Forest Foundation, has in, in uh, cooperation with the Malone Institute compiled a list of all these leaders and all their occupations, what we are doing and what we are doing now. Uh, and it can be downloaded from the Malone Institute's webpage. They are everywhere, we can tell. And here, of course, the dynamic duo. Bill Gates and Justin Trudeau. Happy, smiling. <laughs> they all talked with one voice. In uh, 2005, the Young Global Leaders started the 2020 initiative to use scenario and visioning exercises to understand current and future trends, risks and opportunities. Formulate a shared vision of the world in 2020 and create task forces to advance their vision. This was later renamed the 2030 initiative. In 2006, World Economic Forum released their first global risks report. It stated that the risk of a pandemic flu was a dominant theme in the global conversation on risk and that misinformation and infodemics could lead to a breakdown of trust. Both had to be countered. The same year saw the release of a military think tank RAND Corporation's report, Global Technological Revolution 2020. It predicted that RFID ships would be used to track products and people by 2020. Big changes was on the horizon. Management of the commons. In 2008, the global financial crisis hit the world. This became a trigger to reshape the system. Uh, in the middle of a crisis, World Economic Forum held its first summit on the global agenda in Dubai. The goal was to redesign the international system according to the needs of the 21st century. The world was, according to Schwab, in need of a fundamental reboot. It gave birth to a global brain trust. What have we heard this word before? The brain trust. Rockefeller Special Studies project going global. The World Economic Forum's more than 70 Global Agenda Council with 1,500 thought leaders and experts, think tanks that would shape the agenda for the coming years. One of those were the Global Agenda Council on Pandemics. The annual meeting in 2009 was titled Shaping the Post-Crisis World and gave birth to the Global Redesign Initiative consisting of a newly founded Global Agenda Councils. The Global Agenda Council on the Future of Governments concluded in their reports that the current order had four governance gaps. Lack of trust, lack of incentives, lack of institutions and a lack of time. The governments were in danger of being irrelevant, and a new approach was needed. 
The solution was a digital Marshall Plan with e-governments to engage the citizens. It stated that this would help develop better warning systems for disaster and crisis prevention and for preventing problems in the global economy. It would enable new forms of global cooperation and governance. No one should be left behind. Henry Kissinger wrote in New York Times that the ultimate challenge is to shape the common concern of most countries regarding the economic crisis together with a common fear of jihadist terrorism into a common strategy reinforced by the realization that new issues like proliferation, energy and climate change permit no national or regional solution. Due to the crisis, G20, consisting of the world's 20 biggest economies, including Russia and China and the European Union, became the premier political forum to discuss and manage global problems. As the president of the European Council, Hermann von Rompuy, said, 2009 is also the first year of global governance with the establishment of a G20 in the middle of a financial crisis. World Economic Forum was closely aligned. Several of the, of the leaders had been part of Schwab's Young Global Leaders Scheme. G20 took over the position from the G7, G8 and is working to establish a new international economic order. They gather all central actors that shape the global agenda, like United Nations, the World Bank, and the OECD. And you have probably seen this. In 2010, Rockefeller Foundation released the report Scenarios for the Future and International de Development. It contained scenarios that discussed how the technological development could be furthered or hindered in the future. Lockstep discussed the possibility of a severe pandemic hack attack, cyber warfare and resource shortages, and clever together, a united world that worked together to solve global problems. I will get back to these scenarios. The year after, World Economic Forum started the Grassroots Initiative. Grassroots, World Economic Forum. Mm. Uh, this uh, global shapers community of, consisted of people under the age of 30. It has since grown to 479 hubs all over the world with over 14,000 members. The mission is to empower young people to play an active role in shaping local, regional and global agendas. These young grassroots are led by Klaus Schwab and have to be endorsed by an existing shaper or another member of the World Economic Forum community. In 2015, World Economic Forum transformed into an international organization for public-private partnership and was ready for a new, more active role in shaping the future. The time had come for the Great Transformation. In 2015, United Nations Agenda 2030 with 17 global goals was decided. Schwab and the Forum was well prepared. At the annual meeting in 2016,
Klaus Schwab declared the fourth industrial revolution. Very satisfied. This is a plan to totally reshape the planet and humanity with digital technology, artificial intelligence, robots, neurotechnological brain enhancements and surveillance from space. What a plan! I hear no applause. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. Klaus seems very confident in this. Uh, the forum was well prepared with its many working groups and communities, all intended to shape the future they wanted. The forum's shapers consist of the leading companies of the world. They engage in the forum's platforms. This is some of them that has paid the most to be on board and shape the global agenda. You can see some interesting companies and uh, also foundations like Bill Gates and Wellcome Trust and uh, Big Tech, of course, very involved. And Centers for the Fourth Industrial Revolution has since this started all over the globe. This is from the webpage of the Russian Federation. Their centers started as late as October last year. World Economic Forum's Board of Trustees consists of the most powerful interests of the world, especially the world of banking. Bank of England, Bank of America, European Central Bank, IMF, World Bank Group, Bank of China, Bank of International Settlements, and uh, as late as uh, 2019, the Russian Sberbank. These are the trustees of a material universe for future generations. This is just some names. Ulsa von der Leyen was in the World Economic Forum's Board of Trustees in 2019, before she became loyal to the agenda in, as a European uh, head of the Commission. Here we also find Larry Fink from BlackRock and David Rubenstein from Carlyle Group. These both men are members of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. Rubenstein, he also sits on the board of the Harvard Corporation. The connections are still tight with the university where the ideas for the forum was initiated. In June 2019, the forum signed a formal partnership with the United Nations. Nobody talked about this in the news. Uh, no newspaper, no television, no radio, nobody said nothing about this. This has become a powerful alliance to execute the agenda. The cooperation had, however, been going on for a couple of years. The United Nations Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed has, for example, been on the board of a young global leader since 2017. 
The forum committed itself to finance Agenda 2030 and work with areas like climate change, health, digital cooperation, gender and education. <laughs> the global goals would all be solved through the use of disruptive technologies of the fourth industrial revolution. The same year, G20 in Japan introduced the Society 5.0 concept connecting United Nations Agenda 2030 with the World Economic Forum's Fourth Industrial Revolution. United Nations, World Economic Forum and G20 forms the Troika of global governance. This is the top-down management of the planet, the managers, executing the future agenda. In September 2019, United Nations initiated the Decade of Action. The plan was about to be implemented. Climate activist Greta Thunberg arrived to New York with a sailing boat Malizia to give a speech at the Climate Action Summit. Malizia. Do you know what it means? Hmm? Why do you choose that boat with a name Malizia? This trip was sponsored by Albert, Prince Albert from Monaco, a member of the World Economic Forum. It was a race the billionaires of the world had to win. The motto, Unite Behind the Science, was an echo of a statement from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund's special studies project 60 years earlier. And that was also when they decided that climate change was something that would, could be very useful. At the same meeting, the Club of Rome declared a planetary emergency facing climate, biodiversity and health. This was eerily similar to the scenario Fortress World from the Great Transition Initiative from 2002. The forces of global order take action. International, military, corporate and governance bodies supported by the most powerful national governments form the self-styled Alliance for Global Salvation. Using a revamped United Nations as their platform, a state of planetary emergency is declared. The Alliance would then implement draconian measures. In 2002, we said this. The scenarios tell a lot about the future agenda. Less than a month later, the exercise event 2-1 was held by Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in cooperation with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and World Economic Forum. It was stated that a severe pandemic which becomes event 2-1 would require reliable cooperation among several industries, national governments and key international institutions. They needed to prepare for the event that would become a pandemic. It was prophetic words on March 11, 2020, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus from WHO declared a global health emergency. It started a chain reaction that closely resembled Rockefeller Foundation's lockstep scenario from 2010. A world with tightened down government control with citizens willingly surrender their freedoms. Three months later, Klaus Schwab declared that the world was in need of a great reset. Now is a historical moment, a time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. 
It was echoed by United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that this human tragedy must be a wake-up call. It is imperative that we reimagine, rebuild, redesign, reinvigorate and rebalance our world. Rebalancing investment, harnessing science and technology and advancing the transition to net zero emissions, all elements of the Great Reset are fundamental to building the future we need. The future you need. <clears throat> Not my future. The World Economic Forum and United Nations had their prescription ready. The working group shaping the future of health had been in preparation since 2016. Here are some examples of their kind of solutions. Artificial organ bioengineering, gene editing, preventive medicine and precision medicine. Do you like that? No? The working group was also deeply involved in the immunization agenda to co-create the future of vaccines. The Commons project was started by young global leader Paul Meyer and Rockefeller Foundation in 2019 to unlock the full potential of technology and data for the common good. We have seen and paid for the consequences. And now WHO plan to build an even more efficient system to manage future pandemics and tackle the misinformation. It is planned for implementation in 2024. The new global health architecture is one of the main goals for G20 this year. The others are digital transformation and a sustainable energy transition. As the Club of Rome wrote in 2020, if we don't change the system, more planetary crises and future shocks are coming that will eventually exceed the capacities of governments. This next planetary crisis arrived in late February with a war in Ukraine. Now the new energy crisis has arrived and a food crisis looming. This resembles the hack attack scenario from the Rockefeller Foundation playbook that describes proxy wars, global food and resource shortages, as well as cyber attacks. As Klaus Schwab said last year, in order to shape the future, you have to control the narrative. 2020 is a year that has really changed the world. It is thanks to technology that we are able to join the cyber polygon entirely remotely. This training is another step in creating a trusted digital environment and fostering open dialogue to discuss even the most challenging cybersecurity issues. Nobody can fight these phenomena which are only going to increase in the next couple of years in this dynamic technological environment. this world grows in, in force and, and this happens throughout the world it's just a statement of the obvious you need to protect people properly it is a very close cooperation between the enemies this is Klaus Schwab. Dear Hermann Graf, Your Excellency, Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin, dear participants, it's such a privilege to address you all at a time when we so much rely on digital infrastructure and of course its underpinning cybersecurity. 
I wish to thank in particular my good friend and committed partner at the World Economic Forum, Mr. Hermann Greff, the CEO and Chairman of the Executive Board at Sparebank, and of course also a member of the Board of Trustees of the World Economic Forum. The Forum has built an excellent relationship with the Russian Federation, both with the business community as well as with the government. I was pleased to meet with President Putin last year and I look forward to deepening this relationship with you, Mr. Prime Minister, and your government. The relation uh, has been very close. Vladimir Putin and Henry Kissinger has had quite long warm relations, according to Russian news agency TASS. World Economic Forum has already prepared a new meal, a food system transition that will change what we eat. Synthetic food, insects, and a digitized food system. The energy system is also set to transform, to shape a global smart grid. And to create the internet of everything where things and people are connected into one global net. With data to be shared, monitored and controlled, just like the RAND report predicted in 2006. This comes with digital identities to rule us all. The ID2020 Alliance was created in 2017 by Rockefeller Foundation, Gavi Vax the Vaccine Alliance and Microsoft. This will introduce a system with carbon credits, with allowances on how much or what we can purchase and eat without risking the planetary health. Do you think Henry Kissinger will have a card like this? Central bank digital currency is now being introduced. This is also a major theme for the G20. It gives central control over every transaction. A social credit system is in line to be introduced in order to rate and influence our behavior. And on top of it all, a digital god that acts as judge and overseer. A cybernetic world organism. Joel de Rosne called it the macroscope, a tool to study, predict and direct human activity. It also goes back to the science fiction writer H.G. Wells' vision of the world brain as well as Oliver Rice's The World Sensorium. All for the care and maintenance of a small planet that Barbara Ward called for in 1972. And now the last slides. The future of the global commons. Last year, Antonio Guterres released our common agenda with 12 future commitments where we bring the new multilateral system to life. It follows the scenario clever together from the Rockefeller report. Centralized global oversight and governance structures sprang up, not just for energy use, but also for disease and technology standards. Nation states lost some of their power and importance as global architecture strengthened and regional governance structures emerge. International oversight entities like the UN took on new levels of authority. In March 18 this year, the former Swedish Prime Minister Stefan Löfven was chosen as co-shared to the high-level advisory board on effective multilateralism, but works to further this agenda. Nice choice. David Rockefeller said in 1991, it would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subjected to the lights of publicity during those years. 
but the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march towards a world government. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries. This is a very old dream coming true. The New Atlantis by Francis Bacon about the scientists ruling the world. But in, in this version with the bankers at the top. But the future isn't written in stone. And now these plans are out in the light. I say it is time that we as humans come together and say no to these transhuman fantasies and scientific management of the planet and shape the future we want as humans. Thank you. Man, it's a lot to take in, isn't it, my friends? <clears throat> it's a lot. Um, but we're, you know, we're at the we're at the end game. We're at the end game, and just like uh, just like Doctor Nordengard told you, um, you can you can see it. The plan is out in the open. You can see what they're doing, and what we have to do is come together and say no. Um, the future is absolutely horrifying. Uh, if these um, globalist psychopaths are allowed to march this plan forward. And you know they're going to try. Um, you, you, we're all witnessing now that you've got a uh, huge dairy, um, 18,000 uh, uh, cows in a dairy farm wiped out. Um, you know, uh, my personal opinion is that uh, they've got the, the southern border open in the U.S. and they're just letting terrorists come through that are uh, that are actively carrying out these plans. So, so for sh food shortages, uh, you hear them talking about cyber attacks. Those That's going to be your blackouts. Uh, basically, the plan is to get us all down on our knees begging for them to save us. And that's how you, that's how you get um, that's how you get people to, you know, get on board with complete totalitarianism is you, you deprive them of their basic needs, their power, food, uh, uh, to, to be able to earn a living uh, and get around. And they're going to do it all. They're going to do it all, my friends. And we have to fight back. And, uh, you know, there's some incredible freedom fighters um, fighting every single day uh, in this country and all around the world. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the National Citizens Inquiry is going on right now in Winnipeg. I encourage you all to follow along with that. Um, there's so much information about the pandemic that's being exposed through that. Um, uh, like in the pre-show, you've got now you've got Moderna having to release uh, their like so. What's happening is they're going to have to accelerate this plan faster than they even ever planned. Um, and you see it like it's so sloppy. It's so much out in the open. They can't stop the truth at this point. So they're going to get drastic. In my opinion, they are going to, they're going to, um, they're going to, uh, I think attack the grid, uh, would probably be me, be my logical guess. Uh, I don't even think they can create food shortages fast enough to, uh, to, to basically bring people to their knees. What they can do though is wipe out our power. Um, so I think, you know, when I, you know, this, this has been a real eye, eye opener on Putin. Um, you know, I've always kind of sat back. I've kept one foot behind me about him. I just wasn't sure if he was, if he was playing a role or not. And through this, it's very evident that, uh, Vladimir Putin is on board. He's playing a role. The uh, proxy war was planned and it's a perfect excuse. Uh, to start launching EMPs if they have to. It's a perfect excuse. 
So what you're going to what you're going to watch when it comes to Ukraine is there's going to be revelations of U.S. involvement, which is you're seeing with with the the leaks of uh, of uh, documents of of the U.S.'s in in Ukraine, all scripted, all planned. Um, and then what's going to end up happening is you're going to have. Uh, uh, another cold war between the u.s and russia and uh it's going to escalate to the point where they, they if you want my opinion will potentially start launching emps now don't forget that china's lurking in the background through all of this too and they are right on board with this plan so <clears throat> we'll see we'll see like i'm i still hold out hope that maybe putin's gonna double cross them but i'm just not sure um like i said this plan has gone on for so long um, that, and it's playing out exactly the way they planned. Um, it's, it's just hard to, to maintain hope about them, but, uh, the people real, realistically are, are the, the last bastion of freedom. And we, we have got to, just like Dr. Nordengard said, we have got to get active, uh, get involved and start taking power back from these puppets like Trudeau that are pushing this agenda. So it was, uh, like I said, this will be one that you can listen to probably a few times again as well, because it's just, it's chock full of so much information that, uh, you know, I've listened to it three times already and I've picked up something out of each, each time. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it is rather horrifying, but it also, I hope is going to inspire, um, you know, this would be an episode that you can share with people that are kind of sitting on the fence thinking, oh, you know, they're still, they're still throwing out that conspiracy uh, label uh, to anybody that's saying telling them what's coming well get, get, give them access to this episode and let them listen to how long this plan's been in place and if that doesn't wake you up <clears throat> I don't know what will <laughs> okay anyway my friends that's where we'll end this one as always if you want to reach out to me you can find me on Facebook it's Canadian Patriot Radio use the message button for any information that you think is show worthy um there are there is quite a bit of stuff uh that you guys have been sending me that's really good uh i probably will include it in the next show i've been kind of planning this one for quite a while i just wanted to get my ducks in a row on this one because the information is so uh, relevant to what we're going through at the time and make sure that i had everything proper for this one so i'm going to some of you have sent me some really good stuff um, we'll probably do a real big mashup in the next episode and cover a lot of the stuff that uh, um, the listeners have been sharing. Um, if if you want to reach out by email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. The Telegram room is t.me backslash CPR underscore two. Um, and then, of course, the email is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Um, thank you so much for tuning in again, my friends. And until next time, in all thy armed sons and daughters, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.